I figured out that this particular strategy with systems is very scalable, very accessible for way more people than the traditional real estate strategies that are out there. And it's served as an entry point now for a lot of individuals. We've had unemployed individuals, individuals going through a divorce, married couples, all of them. And we get the privilege of working and seeing insight into 17 different countries now with this particular strategy. And you found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. We really appreciate your listening to us yet again for another awesome episode here. We've really brought in one of the heavy hitters, Rory. Rory Gill, attorney, broker, next home title town real estate and urban village legal. You're not the heavy hitter I was talking about, but you know, you're a hitter. That's cool. I'm not the heavy hitter, but I'm happy that we have a heavy hitter taking us back to something that we know pretty well and that we've discussed a lot. And that is Jason's favorite topic in the whole world, short-term rentals. Short-term rentals. We talk about it a lot on this podcast. It's what everyone's talking about. When you go to any real estate meetup in the world, you'll have more people at the meetups about short-term rentals than any other subject. And we're going right to one of our favorite experts, Content Factory Online, the founder of the most advanced short-term rental training company in the world, Cashflow Diary, coming to us from sunny California, right, Jay? Not sunny, but not sunny at the moment. But yes, <laughs> that's funny. Content factory. I we're you know what? I'm going to take that and jot that down. No, I'm going to let my team know. Like yes, becoming a content factory. That's exactly right. Right beneath your title on your door. You know, so when people walk in, they know that you are you know the content factory. This is Jay Massey, everybody. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys taking the time to care about this subject. But as someone said, or has been said, it, you can't kind of avoid it today. That's the part that I love. That's the part that I love. There is no avoiding this subject at all. So no matter where you go, I like it. So Jay is with Cashflow Diary, and this is something that you've created. When did you create this? When? Yeah. Two, A couple years ago? 2008. Wow. Okay. The sub headline on your website is practice what you teach. And I think yes. that's one, th one thing that you just never know when you're online, you know, you're, you're following people on TikTok or Instagram reels or YouTube. And, <laughs> right. you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great content out there, but there's a lot of pretenders out there as well. And I think you have to peel back the layers of the onion to figure out is the person that you're listening to really doing it? Are they in the trenches? Are they practicing what they're teaching? And you're also a teacher, all the content that you have, you have amazing Facebook community where you're always answering questions from them. Jay, tell us how all this started and how it took you to the level of expertise that you're at right now. So it started because I, in my first marriage, I was I wanted to be the man that I believed I needed to be for better or for worse. That's what you're supposed to do. And when she was pregnant, um, she has a condition known as hyperemesis. She couldn't eat or drink. Mm -hmm. And I ended up uh, puncturing my lung and I was born with asthma and I couldn't walk and talk simultaneously. So if you can imagine a situation in which you, you can't work because you can't walk or talk, uh, she couldn't work because she was literally fighting for her life. I was looking for a way to generate income still, and I didn't know what that was. And it turns out that real estate was the 
answer. See, we're taught to take our labor and turn it into income when the truth of the matter is if we take our labor, build assets, and then use those assets for income, when we get sick, it would matter. And that's the challenge. We don't know how to do that. And I was forced to learn it at a very young age. And the first strategy I was executing was wholesaling. I was buying and selling houses using no money, no credit. And really quickly in about 72 hours, we went from, I was doing a $2,000 to $26,000 per transaction. And like most people, uh, if you teach me the rules, I can play the game. I didn't know it existed though. So you can't do that. And I was forced to learn it. But through that process of doing a lot of transactions, uh, cause I did around 200 or so wholesale transactions before I like, just like, okay, I got to do something better, but I didn't realize I needed to do something better until the IRS came and said, Hey, we want our share. And I'm like, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can I do about it? And that's what got me to collecting houses. And then from what I, it's what I call collecting houses, but it was really cell phone towers, commercial real estate, apartment buildings and, and the like. And through that process, I learned the weaknesses of both sides. When you're doing a whole bunch of active income, you have a tax problem. Uh, when you do nothing but hold property, you have an income problem. It's a great way to build wealth, horrible way to build income. And I wanted a mix between the two. And what happened uh, is that one of my students came to me one day and said, Hey, this is what we did with the money you, you helped us, you know, to learn how to raise. And what they were showing me was uh, a short-term rental. I had, I mean, I had heard of Airbnb, but I wasn't like, mm, that's what I'm going to, I don't see how that works. But being forced to sit down, look at the numbers and understand it, I was like, oh, okay. And then I decided to help them make a better system, build a better system for what they were doing. And in the process of that construction, started doing it myself. And um, lo and behold, I, I figured out that this particular strategy with systems is very scalable, very accessible for way more people than the traditional real estate strategies that are out there. And it's served as an entry point now for a lot of individuals. We've had unemployed individuals, divorced uh, individuals going through a divorce, married couples, single, all of them. And we get the privilege of working and seeing insight into 17 different countries now with this particular strategy. And it, it's it's been one of the greatest greatest feelings ever is uh, to create seven figure families. That's what I get excited about. Yeah. What a story. There's certainly a lot there. And some of the elements that you just mentioned that you have discovered are things that are not taught in traditional school. You know, you mentioned the tax. Some of the elements. (laughs) Yeah. All of them. I was being, I would know. I was being generous there. Like which one was in school. I really would have loved that class. Yeah, we all would have. And, you know, Rory and I have done a lot of conversations lately about tax planning. Uh, as you and I were yes. talking before we hit record, yes. you know, it's something that should be done throughout the year, you know, not just in the later part of the year, but there is a lot to it that is never taught to us. It's never told to us. And the average person, you know, who's outside of the world of real estate investing mm-hmm. is unaware, completely unaware right. of what you mentioned right there. Rory, what are your, your thoughts on the direction that Jay's taken? you know, his teachings and, and some of the things that he discovered, you know, well over a decade ago that people are still discovering to this day. It's not lost to me that you were through bad circumstances kind of forced to learn a lot of this when you were younger and Im- implement these 
good habits at an early age. And fortunately, a lot of that has paid off. Um, but a lot of it goes contrary to what a lot of people are told. And that is to get a job, go to school, be comfortable incurring a lot of student loan debt um, in the process. And that is the recipe, the old recipe to success. And that leaves a lot of people with a tax problem. It leaves a lot of people with a debt problem, inhibits any ability for people to really gain assets for it. You were forced to understand what your why was pretty early on, you know, in a negative way, but that really allowed you to jumpstart and get things going against the the grain of what we're told. Didn't feel like a jumpstart. I wasn't, it wasn't like, yes, I'm doing it better. I, I did not find out that it was a superior method for a while. I didn't find that out until, I don't know, was I 38, 39, I think is when I, I called myself retired for the first time and said, I realized I had nothing to do, but I also had no one to do it with. I had no one to do nothing with which was the problem because I was like bored by myself. And I learned that, oh, this is better than what most people said. And I've done nothing wrong just because we were told that retirement happens at 59 and a half or 60 or whatever that number is. That doesn't mean it's illegal if you did it early, but we act like so. We literally plan and, and accept, okay, cool. That's supposed to happen then. So for now I can do whatever I want. No, it could happen sooner. If you just knew uh, that your labor should build assets as opposed to labor going into income. And that that was not something I like you said, I wasn't taught that I didn't know that there's nothing at the kitchen table. There's nothing at the high school. Uh, I have a public high school diploma. That is that's that. There you go. That's what I got. Mm-hmm. And it happened because I wanted to eat. I wasn't trying to be anything other than a responsible human being who fed his family. And oh, on the other hand, I I discovered that this is the most valuable thing that I've learned is or the most valuable thing that I have, because that's what set off to creating the teaching and training company was I was faced with some of my business mentors who passed away. So I was like, okay, well, if I was the one to pass away, what was going to be the most valuable thing? And I think at that time, I only had like a hundred and 17 houses or so. And, you know, more spoiled rich kids. That doesn't, that's not it. So it's not the houses. It's not that. And I realized it was the information. It was the understanding. It was the how to look at the marketplace and, and assimilate that information in a way to develop a cohesive strategy that works for an individual, regardless of their level, current level of skill set, so long as they're willing to apply themselves and push forward. And that's, I, you know, so I've spent the better part of a decade plus now, um, trying to help others, uh, specifically men lead, uh, if you will, um, and build and believe. That's what I want people to do. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by retired? Because you're obviously working, you're, you know, you're putting up the podcast, you're teaching. What is it? What's the difference between being in your career and being retired? Such a great question, because if more people would take the time to define what they mean here, it, they, they probably wouldn't actually accept it. Um, so what I've come to define retirement as, as more money coming in than going out without working, a.k.a. if your assets cover your um, your expenses on a monthly basis, then you're effectively retired. You don't have to work. You work because you want to or maybe you're on a mission of some kind. You've got something that you want to achieve. 
not because you need the money, but because you you need the sense of accomplishment, personal development, or something else. Uh, so if you had a portfolio of houses or short-term rentals or song rights, even um, that paid you 20 grand a month and your expenses were even 20 grand a month, so long as the 20 grand a month keeps showing up, you're, you're in a retirement like state. So you want to continue to drive that uh, to the point where maybe the income is double and you know what your expenses are. But that's, that's what I mean is that if you got up if you did nothing physical that produced value and received economic compensation for it in that month you'd still be fine Mm -hmm. we'll be right back every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong the only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves true cash flow including depreciation and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. So why did you find your way to real estate as a way of achieving that? You know, that's a softball question i'm hoping because i think that there's so many benefits especially the people who are listening to this podcast that know that real estate is a way to achieve that but like you know when people come to you for the first time what are those things that you tell them that real estate could do for them that um their current w2 job wasn't telling them well the biggest okay so for me uh and then i'm glad you brought this up i'm asset agnostic i I really don't care what the underlying asset is i could care less about real estate the walls the toilets and all that stuff so i'm sorry all of you home depot people who are in love with the countertops i'm not that guy uh at all i i just don't care now the benefits that real estate brings different story and one of those benefits i think the biggest benefits is that when you understand that you have the ability to live your values. I think the biggest challenge that a lot of individuals face that we face as a society is the fact that we've got people who are, yes, you may be earning a significant amount of money, but you don't like what you're doing. You don't even like who you are when you're doing it. And you don't know what else to do, so you keep doing it. And you can't find a way in to what you've been told is a great uh, asset class, aka real estate, because it can feel very exclusionary, uh, depending on who you are, that you, how do I get in then? How do I, mm-hmm. I, I would like to get in, that looks good to me. And that's why I, you know, when I first got started, well, even still to this day, I specialize all the traditional real estate strategies. I've never used the bank. So all the things you heard me rattle off earlier, the single family houses, the cell phone towers, commercial retail, these were all done, no banks whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning to do that uh, without and around uh, the standard traditional financial institution. But that's why I love short-term rentals is because it is, to me, the entry point to giving someone, anyone for that matter, um, the ability to become what banks like to look at to in order to lend. And, and if you want to keep going with that, to buy even bigger, bigger assets. So when people come to you, because your your website talks about a short-term rental 
masterclass. What are some of the questions that you're getting from those initial inquiries from people that reach out to you saying like, Jay, I like your stuff. I listen to your podcast. Uh, I see you have a lot of expertise in here. I kind of want to run down that road as well, but I don't know where to start. Like, <laughs> there it is right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just nailed it. How, how do I start? I don't get it. What, how does this work? Right. Mm-hmm. And they, they bring a number of uh, preconceived notions, uh, but which we deal with. But then we, we just literally help them see that it is a it's a very clear step by step process. But what happens is that most people um, we complicate it because of what we think we already know or how we think things work. And, and that that's the challenge, for example, um, the one of the biggest uh, things people believe is you have to own the property when the truth of the matter is you don't. Um, the the second and right behind that is because someone I know, I know I'm talking to you right now, you washing the dishes, driving the car. Here's what happened. You said to yourself, but Jay, I want to own the property because of the equity and I'm going to make more money. And here's the thing. You did that without doing the math. And the, the, the truth of the matter is the higher cash on cash returns is, is through uh, arbitrage using somebody else's property. And the the next step becomes, okay, well, what about the money? Uh, I, I don't have all the money. I, I don't know what it is about real estate, uh, people wanting to become real estate investors. But for whatever reason, if I said restaurant, if I said I got an idea for a new pen, a new Kindle, a new water bottle, a new something, um, you know what? In, in that instance, we think, okay, I, I got to go get some money from somebody else to then bring this thing into being. But when we say real estate, we think suddenly I have to have every resource, all of it. And that's not true. Yes, knowledge, time, money, and credit are required, but they don't have to be yours. You do need to bring something to the table, but leverage is the biggest thing. And the real estate or real estate strategies benefit from POC, proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. I don't need any convincing. You don't need any convincing to talk to the next human to say that, well, people like a roof over their head. That's not news. Right. <laughs> so, yes, you're right. Got it. So, so long as that's true, then, okay, great. I mean, when people stop liking roofs over their heads, then we're in trouble. Uh, but until then, you know, it, it it's just a matter of, how are we going to use real estate? How are, are you participating in real estate? Do you only mm-hmm. pay into it or do you also receive from it? Mm-hmm. Most people use Black Friday, if you will, like, man, they, they hate it. Well, the only reason you hate it is you're not the one selling the products. See, if you've ever been a producer on Black Friday, you love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first of the month, you hate it because you pay rent, not receive it. You hate it because you pay the mortgage, not receive it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's all of those things. It's the consumer versus producer situation. And we have to work with that mindset mm-hmm. to get you to then do the activities of looking for properties uh, from landlords that can help you to that, that, that are looking for you because landlords have vacancy. So it's mm-hmm. a very simple equation. Yeah. If vacancy is a, a problem. It's an expense. And you, the short-term rental operator, are the solution. You're the tenant. Hey, you're the buyer. And so most people don't see it that way, at least at the beginning. But we have to help them see it that way. And then once they do, there's a whole list of questions that are typically associated with that transformation process. 
to get them to understand that, no, that gas station down the street, you know what? They, they probably don't own the land. They have a landlord. Right. And it's very similar. You know, I when I first heard about arbitrage, you know, last year or the year before, whenever it was, and realized what people were doing with it, first it seemed like people who are renting places were asking permission, saying, hey, listen, you know, I, you have a great apartment. Do you mind if I rent this out uh, short term to people? Here are the things that I will do. And then you come to an agreement for it. One thing you just mentioned right there, though, is is helping solve a landlord's problem. And that, that's another way to look at an arbitrage situation where if you want to approach a landlord that maybe is having a hard time renting their place out or doesn't want to keep looking for tenants, maybe you're going to give them an out, an easy solution to their problem of a long-term tenant saying, I'll I'll sign your lease. Just let me do this. Instead of saying, you know, hey, beautiful high rise in Miami, do you mind if I do this? It's a little bit yeah. different of a way to think about arbitrage that I hadn't thought about until you mentioned it. Well, okay. Let me give you a few more because I want to also undermine that this is, okay. You guys are, um, you ever been on an airplane? I'm assuming the answer is yes. Yeah. A couple times, yeah. So a couple times, right, exactly. So if you were getting ready to get on an airplane, go from, say, Miami to New York, New York to L.A., whatever, uh, going to go to Cancun. I don't care where you're going, but you're getting on the plane, and just before you board, you notice you look at the plane. Everything else looks right. You got the right captain. You got the right – everything looks like you like you remember it, but you look at that plane, and that plane has one wing. Are you going to get on it? I'm not. Right, because there's now a problem. Yeah, (laughs) That plane has a single point of failure. See, one of the things that we business owners or real estate investors even don't do is realize real estate investors tend to forget that they're in business. Therefore, you create, we often create single points of failure inside, especially long-term landlords, because what, what they're not thinking about is the fact that, hey, I um I am committing, watch this, 365 days. I'm pre-selling them. I'm selling them for $24,000. Now, you, Mr. Tenant, I will give it to you um, on, on an interest-free loan. Um, and here's the payment structure. You're, I need you to pay me $2,000 uh, a month and... Then, um, and then in fact, to make me feel better, I, I want you to give me an extra, you know what, $2,000. And I'm just going to hold that just to make sure that you're, you know, you're going to make good on all of the payments. And we create a single point of failure. He sold 365 days to one person on the hope that nothing will happen to that one person. And if that one person, that one family goes down at any time during that term, then what exactly is the problem? And what we as a short-term rental operators can do is we can pivot our person technically every day. And landlords tie their business to a single point of failure, whether that be that one family, one industry, heaven forbid, should it be his entire tenant base is employed by the major employer. They all work for Google. Cool. They all work for Meta. Great. Well, didn't Meta just lay off? Do you, and mm-hmm. now you as the landlord have a problem because the mortgage company, they're not really going to care about that. And you've got to figure it out. We offer what I consider to be a safer product because we can change. 
just like what happened back when in COVID. It, it, landlords learned that, that single point of failure existed. We removed that. See, it, it, from a business standpoint, that just makes sense. You would never, ever design an entire business around, I got one supplier. That's it. You, you wouldn't do that because your business means too much for that. But landlords, we, we think, ah, I'll just get a long, uh, uh, you know, a traditional tenant and, that, and that'll be fine. And no, not really. It, it's mm-hmm. not. That, that's not even talking to the, are you maximizing the revenue piece? Uh, I mean, but we could. But more importantly than that, the other thing that hamstrings long-term landlords are the ordinances and rules. Um, because you, you, I mean, especially for those that operate in rent control areas. Well, I don't know, you may not think about it, but the short-term rental operator is not a protected class. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Think about that for a second. That gives you different options as it relates to the revenue related to the, to the building. And then uh, for those of you owning property, you, you're making a choice. It's either cash flow or deferred maintenance. I know because, well, property owner. <laughs> yeah. It's cash flow or deferred maintenance. And you, you, you decide each and every time. But if you had more revenue on the front end, you wouldn't have to make that decision. You could upkeep your property and take money home. And this is definitely true until the property is paid off. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, there are many things that we don't think about that make it superior, in my opinion, um, or at least worthy of considering in the mix because it has characteristics that most people just aren't thinking. It's just something new to you. So you're like, I don't know. And you run the other direction without truly trying to take time to understand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And it just being the real estate law podcast, I'll just kind of double down on something you said. Um, even though we are not in a rent controlled area, we are in an area where it's very difficult procedurally to evict. And a six month eviction time frame is good, is short. Um, so for, if a landlord's looking at different options they have, renting a property to a short-term rental operator has that benefit because it's going to be much easier to evict the company, the investor, the short-term rental operator, if they fail um, in their obligations under the lease, than it would be to uh, evict a long-term tenant in there. And then you have now effectively six months of vacancy plus damages plus legal fees. Um, and that's something you're not likely to face with the short-term rental operator as your tenant. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes. Oh, or, but, and here's the fun part. Uh, when that operator, again... It, we're using operator as if they're all equal. They're not. There is still an. There should be an underwriting process for that that operator because they're not all created equal. Trust mm-hmm. me, I know. <laughs> um, but but in general, even if and when it goes bad, one of the standard things I like to include and teach people to include is a um, a, a right of replacement clause, if you will, where I, the operator, if for some reason I identify and go, okay, this is really not working out. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Let me find you, pay for whatever, a suitable tenant for you and 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 move on. Because I can see that if that's going to happen. Now, I don't have to use that clause, but the point is, is it's still there. 
uh, because you know maybe maybe something happens and and you decide we decide somebody decides that a change needs to be made and it's just and it's just not it's just not thinking about it or thinking it through and understanding exactly what the business model is what it does and how it serves the community that that makes all the difference in the world because the person or having a short-term rental operation inside one of your buildings um, actually can help you even from a tax standpoint at, at, at a certain at a certain volume and in a certain way so it's it's there's just so many things that are available but we you know we just shy away from it and we stick with what's traditional even when what's traditional has been proven to not work and that's the stuff that I'm like come on wake up we can mm-hmm. do we can do better than this what are some trends you see as we're um, heading into the Airbnb platform growing in a double digit? I think it was in twenty something percent of uh, of units went up this past year. You know, this is we were releasing this in early twenty twenty three, and a lot of operators are saying that there's more supply out there right now. You know, mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you coach your students and people that ask you about that? Uh, and you know what are some ways that you give them the confidence that this is probably still a good idea if the supply has gone up a little bit higher than the demand in some markets? Okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this, but you you are about to risk converting the majority of your audience to short term rental operators. Are you sure you want me to do that? Hey, jump in the pool. The water's warm here. <laughs> okay, what? Here's what I mean. So yes, you're you're right. The economics of the situation has always been supply and demand. However, what we consider supply is important and what we consider demand is also important. Most are, when they're considering the short-term rental industry, they're thinking about vacation homes. They're thinking about, um, I live in, I live in Southern California and the number one customer I do not want is someone on vacation. I, I do my best to avoid them. Okay. So there are 65, we've identified 65 different use cases for short term rentals. So let's start with that. Yes, supply has gone up and there's still not enough in every jurisdiction that we operate. So here's what I'm saying. When a house um, experiences an event like their pipes bursting, so someone today, as you are listening to this, had their pipes burst. You know what happened? They called their insurance company. Their insurance company called the claims company. That claims company outsourced that claim because one of the coverages is to find them a place to stay. It's inside the insurance policy. And that outsourced, the, the, the claims company that outsourced that housing need, um, they use short-term rentals. Mm-hmm. So... Now we have to ask ourselves something very basic. Will pipes ever stop bursting? No. And here's what I know. I can call up any of those companies. By the way, one of them is ALE Solutions, because I know somebody's going to ask, what is the name of that company? It's ALE Solutions. Um, And you can look them up. And every one of their agents has a stack so high that they cannot house them all. They just can't. They don't have enough. So they, they so they try to convince their insured person to use a hotel. Well, if the hotel closed down and not, do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The, this need doesn't go anywhere. That's just one. But 
let's talk about the military, for example. If you're near a military base, especially those that train, that, does the military ever stop training? The answer is no. So there's a need there, and it's always constant and definitely undersupplied. There's also the PCS, Permanent Change of Station. There's a site out there called At Ease. At Ease. And you know what it specializes in? It specializes in providing temporary housing for military, just for the military. But probably one of the strangest ones that I had no clue about was um, one of our students got contacted by the government because they needed to put a, they had a person on house arrest and they needed to put them somewhere because they didn't. I'm like, what are you Mm -hmm. talking about? That was strange. Had no idea. There's so many use cases for this. I mean, we we don't think about it, but every tornado, every natural disaster, anytime you've seen FEMA rehousing people, they are housing them somewhere. And the these are all forms of temporary housing. Yeah, Airbnb, VRBO, these are all the marketplaces where you can meet some of the people, but it's not all of them that have the need. And that that includes uh, emergency shelters, for that matter, for abused spouses. You got that. You got your LGBTQ who who are being put out in various. There's a number of different ways of, of slicing this pie, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the need is massive. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface. You've just gotten to the awareness stage, and it sounds too grandiose, and it feels like you are too late. When the truth of the matter is, we've just begun. Here's how I can tell you that. Just uh, back last November, uh, Graystar, look them up, one of the largest residential management companies in the United States, as well as a couple of other publicly traded companies, keyword being publicly traded companies, just uh, solidified and announced their partnership. They've been working together for a while, but they just solidified and announced their partnership with Airbnb, giving their tenants, their existing tenants, the opportunity to put their unit that they are living in on Airbnb. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying ultimately is we haven't even reached marketplace acceptance and we're concerned about saturation. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Everywhere I, you you guys can hear me right now. You've got a, you've got hotels building a hotel. Mm -hmm. They're doing it for a reason. It's not because they think it's going to be empty. And the, so yes, there is more supply, but we're still well below 2019 numbers. In terms of supply, 2019 being the base year before COVID, because everything went wacky after that. But we're still below that. Now we're approaching and fast. In fact, uh, short-term rentals is the the fastest uh, part, uh, recovering part of the hospitality industry, which is great. Mm-hmm. And um, we we have a long ways to go because corporate travel, the work from home movement, all of this other stuff is affecting uh, a corporation's need for. Uh, temporary housing, uh, as well as, not, and not that's not even including the new mothers, all of the new mothers who have just been trained and don't want to expose their kids to, especially below 18, the stats say families traveling with children but between the age of two and 18 are the ones who are literally dumping the hotel for short-term rentals the fastest because nobody wants the, they want control over their environment. It all makes sense. It all works. Yeah. We're just not, as entrepreneurs, realizing the trend. We're listening to headlines, trading on that without truly understanding who the customer is, because that's the biggest piece to understand. And the fun part is, for any one of the things you've heard me mention, 
you must realize there's the Walmart, Target, and Nordstrom effect. Mm-hmm. So just because I'm a, a traveling medical professional or traveling nurse or something, sometimes I'm the Nordstrom style traveling nurse, meaning I want to live a certain way. Sometimes it's the Target style. Sometimes it's the Walmart style. I just want the bare basic needs at the greatest discount. And as the short-term rental operator, we get to decide, am I the Walmart, Target, or Nordstrom of my area for this particular customer? So when you divide it up properly and really think about it, the way markets mature, we are so at the beginning, it's not even funny. You mean you said that way more in uh, detail um, and eloquently than I would say, but I've definitely noticed in our short-term renting that we always think of vacation areas and big cities as big drivers behind short-term rentals. But there's somebody who needs to stay in areas that you don't even think of as necessarily having short-term rental traffic. There are people that need to be near family, people that need to be near a temporary job. And these aren't necessarily the glamorous places or the big cities where people think of, but there is a strong demand in those places. And often those are the same places that are underserved by good hotel infrastructure. So, you know, there are opportunities that I think are a little less apparent to maybe some of the people who are listening, but they're worth exploring um, in the short-term rental space. Yeah, I agree. I, well, I'll say it this way. It's not about the property. It's about the experience at the property. Mm-hmm. See, there was a property, it was all orange groves, but it became Disneyland. And he followed that up with buying a swamp, turned it into Disney World. So if, <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. It is not about the property. Um, in fact, try this one on for size. Go type... Um, Covered wagon, Airbnb. Covered wagon, Airbnb. In that though, that that order in Google, you know, it's going to pop up. People who are taking vacant land and putting a covered wagon on it. No correction. Five covered wagons on it, putting them in a circle, but renting each individual covered wagon for hundreds of dollars a night mm-hmm. on vacant land. Now I don't know where to get a covered wagon, but maybe you do. My point is, you just have to realize it's about an experience. What you're crafting is an experience at a piece of property, not it's it's not the property in and of itself. And that yeah. that's the biggest difference. Once you click there, uh, everything else can can open up for you. The opportunity is massive and we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. You know, as Airbnb would have you believe, um, that cover wagon wagon example that you gave, I was thinking more like a lean-to or a teepee or an igloo. Yurts are or great, bro. Yurts, yeah. I mean, like, it, you, mm. you, go, you go to their homepage and they're talking about all these unique experiences, which is the direction they're taking their marketing. It's the direction that they've categorized a lot of their properties. Um, everything you mentioned right there, though, you know, a lot of those kind of medium-term stays, um, it doesn't feel like it's forefront in the marketing on Airbnb. Like, they're not telling hosts that this is this long list of things that you could be looking for for these types of customers. You know, I I mean, for God's sakes, you mentioned house arrest. You had a list, I'm sure, of 64. And then when they said house arrest, you're like, all right, the list is 65 now, right? (laughs) You know, maybe it'll be 66 when you learn about another category of people. But this year was a year where I heard a lot about medium-term rentals. And maybe it's just me that heard about that this year. But I think it's out Mm -hmm. there with a lot of podcasts and YouTubers. And um, at the BPCon this year out in San Diego, they talked a lot about Mm -hmm. uh, midterm rentals. Um, And a lot of the category you mentioned was all midterm rentals. But you know, you dissected it. You know, it's not just oh yeah, do midterm rentals too. Well, then what does that mean? Oh, traveling nurses. Okay, 
there's a lot more than that beyond just traveling nurses. And, you know, I appreciate your sharing lots of those categories. Absolutely. You know, it's given me and a lot of other people a lot to think about when you're trying to put together a strategy to fulfill a need. Because really, what Airbnb is a marketplace, right? You know, it's created a need. And then can your property capture the demand that's out there? You know, it is a search Mm -hmm. engine, right? How do we find a website? You know, you do good search engine optimization on the website. Airbnb is the same thing. This one often blows people's minds and and it should because it's crazy, but it's also true. You, you've you been in the airports. I mean, you used to travel again. You've been in the airport. You've opened that Sky Mall magazine or whatever it's called mm-hmm. now. And you've seen the doctors that are there in the magazine with the big cheesy grin. You've never seen them, but they're in every airport. You know why? It's because people are flying to from other places to see that doctor, that particular doctor for whatever it is that they do. And watch this. Every time that doctor makes an appointment, the receptionist, right after she says, okay, cool, we'll see you on Friday the 15th. The question that he or she gets next is, do you have any places that you can recommend for us to stay? Wait a minute. What? And you know what they do? They're like, well, there's a hotel down the street. That's what they do because no one contacts them to say, hey, if you've got a you know patient coming in, they can stay here. And, and here's the fun part about that. When we're thinking through this, you're thinking, oh, okay, cool. I, I just, I, you know, I'm going to start and I'll just get one. You don't realize that the law of adverse selection is working against you and you need the law of large numbers working in your favor. In fact, this business is harder, hardest from zero to seven. Um, so you're thinking, I'll just get one and see how it goes. When what the doctor's hoping is that you'll get 20 because they're going to see about that many patients for what they do over the course of a month. And they can just keep rotating that entire house. And then you realize that's just one doctor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's more than one of those doctors in your area. That's what's so crazy about this particular way of, of, of housing individuals is the... When when I break it down, like I'm doing right here, it, it becomes very apparent to you that you didn't, you just haven't, you just don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot that you don't know, but that the opportunity is huge, which is why I say every one of the strategies is a seven figure plus strategy. Mm-hmm. Now you need to become the person who knows how to operate a an organization and a building and staff and team and all of the things that can then keep it going. And a natural next step for a lot of those that we work with is hotels, which is what they make the transition into because, hey, now it's even more people, but it's the same game. And that's what's fun. Anyway, I love what I do a lot because of the transformation that's required inside in order to do it. I can tell. I mean, you're really giving some thought to positioning it as more than just, you know, I want to get into short-term rentals or Airbnb. It's like saying, I want to open a restaurant. Well, what kind of restaurant do you want to open up? Do you want to open up a fast food place or a top-end steakhouse or, you know, somewhere in between? You know, there's lots, that is the dining industry, right? But just because you're opening up a restaurant doesn't mean you're going to serve the whole industry. You're going to serve a niche within that industry. And and this is what you've given some great thought to uh, and shared amazing knowledge on this podcast. It is, is really helping 
our audience, if you're listening to this saying, what's my niche? I mean, it's limitless is what Jay is saying. And, <laughs> Which is the you know, problem. Yeah. That's actually the problem because nobody wants to choose. They yeah. want to try to serve everyone. And what you don't realize is that you end up serving no one. Mm-hmm. We've created units specifically themed, and, and it sounds it's going to sound crazy to some of you, around Star Wars. That's the entire theme. Now, some of you absolutely can't stand it or even don't know what it is. I'm sorry for you. It's okay. But Star Wars, and you know what? They make more money because people want the R2-D2 is the uh, coffee press. It's pretty funny, mm-hmm. you know, or Marvel or anything Disney related, honestly. And <laughs> making themes is just another, Is it's a variation on that same concept be, and be, to create a unique experience. Probably the most unique theme I've ever seen was uh, Spiders. Uh, I don't know who you are. I don't want to know who you are. I cannot stand spiders. But uh, guess what? They did quite well because there's Mm -hmm. some of you out there who really like spiders. And so you want a spider decorated curtain and and duvet and stuff. But I'm I'm not that person. And or clowns. I saw one like that. It's all crazy. It's not their their limitless is actually part of the problem. Because when you're first starting, you're, you're dealing with so much fear, you're afraid that you're not going to succeed or get it, quote unquote, wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the truth of the matter is, it's a it's a marketing question. If you spread the message wide enough, you'll be fine, especially if you're talking to a very specific person, because somebody somewhere uh, wants the Billy Bob alligator and airboat experience. It may not be you, but mm-hmm. there's somebody. Well, Rory, do you want to book a spider Airbnb and that could be our next vacation? <laughs> Let's think creatively. Let's do the snake, uh, the snake and the, the termite and maybe a cockroach themed one. Somebody's going to be out there who wants it. But if they're, if they're a big cockroach enthusiast, well, mm-hmm. um, why don't we get to our final couple of questions and then uh, Jay, you can tell everyone where they can learn more about you and your teachings and your course and whatnot. Um, okay. We ask these three questions of everyone that comes in the podcast as a way okay. to wrap things up and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, the first of our final questions is if you can get on stage for half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? Leadership and accountability. There's not enough men leading. We have a leadership deficit. And I think that's simple because we don't even believe we can. Yeah, we don't even believe we can. And we, we believe it looks like something that it doesn't. And he or somehow this mystical leader is born a, a certain way. And that's not me. So clearly I'm not it, meaning we can become it. So yeah, leadership all day long. Excellent. Great answer. Second question. Tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. I'm a military brat. Uh, so I've gotten this, I've spent the majority of my formative years outside of the United States, that gives me and still informs a perspective uh, of the world that is different than most individuals that I am around on a daily basis. I say that to say, I don't take uh, the freedom to choose what to do with my time for granted. Uh, All of us are free. Now you've got to decide how do you want to fight to keep it? And once you obtain your goal, do you turn around and help another? So being from a military environment, it's, it's always been about team. It's been about the mission and the, the message. And that informs nearly everything I, I do because it doesn't, it's not about the money. It, you're, whatever, you're, whatever got you started doesn't keep you started until it elevates into to some, to some different level. And um, right now, it's seeing a person 
cross six or seven figures for the first time. And we, in fact, this past year, we just uh, created our first single black female um, who got into the seven figure category. That's what I get excited about is it's being able to do that. And that comes from leaving no soldier behind. Uh, That comes from understanding that, yeah, I may be okay, but what about the next person? And, And it comes from just learning and seeing and, and and having to think about more than just my own safety and well-being everywhere I go. And also understanding that where I go, I'm a representative of where I'm from. Mm-hmm. So all, all of those things come come into play today. Yeah, it's that teamwork environment. Um, it's paying it forward. Uh, and it's realizing that you, know, you could teach other people to be successful and that won't make you fail. Uh, you could yeah, it doesn't make me together. less successful to help right. you be successful. Right. Well spoken. That's well said. That's a really great insight. Um, and our final question for you is tell us okay. something you're listening to or watching or reading these days. Understanding the Power and Purpose of Men by Dr. Miles Monroe. So uh, that probably resonates very, <laughs> you know, consistently throughout everything I've been saying. But Yes, understanding the power and purpose of men, because um, the male identity has been under attack for quite a while. Um, Many men don't know who they are. We define, we let something other than ourselves define what it means to be a man and then do that. Yeah, so that which makes it challenging because then the next person who has a different definition, we're like, do we defend what I just learned or do we adopt that? And it gets really confusing. So, yeah, uh, understanding the purpose and power of men by Dr. Miles Monroe. Got it. Well, great. Well, Jay, we really appreciate the time you spent with us here on the Real Estate Law Podcast. If people want to learn more about you and everything that you have shared today, plus more, uh, where can they go? So here's the easiest, especially since you're you're probably on um, your mobile, <laughs> sorry, your mobile devices, yep. uh, because when you go, you could go to at uh, what's it called, Cashflow Diary at Cashflow Diary anywhere, and it'll probably it'll be us. So that that's you know at Cashflow Diary, you know you can do that on um, Facebook or TikTok or where, wherever you go. But probably the best thing is we produced a. Uh, eight hour course. We're going to teach you how to get that first short term rental at no additional cost. Just text the word blueprint. It's free to 949-881-6939. All you got to do is send a text message. We'll send you the link. You download it. Follow the directions, please. <laughs> Follow them. Don't invent new ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, 949-881-6939. Text the word blueprint there. That'll get you started so that you can know and understand and implement many of the concepts uh, that I've shared here. Because again, I view short-term rentals as the gateway drug. You're going to use other people's property. That's phase one. Then you're going to scale that going to two to 120 to 120, because that's the system that we teach. It supports up to 120 units. And then uh, phase three, you're going to buy assets, buy those long-term assets that you want, to for intergenerational wealth or for whatever purpose you you have in mind. And that's the play. That's that's it. And I, I want to make sure that more people can do it, which is why we took something that we used to charge for, but now we give it away because it helps more people get um, where they need to be, where they want to go. 
Yep. Proven strategy, follow the blueprint, don't sway off the course. Uh, you know, it. I'm sure that it's very well battle-tested uh, and you have a long list of successful students who have uh, followed exactly what you said you should do and, Including and now they're in a better entity. spot. So that we're clear, because <laughs> mm-hmm. many people keep trying to do this without one, but that's a whole nother. But you guys know yeah. that. Oh, yeah, we know yeah. that. <laughs> um, hey, Rory, where can people find you? People can find me in two places at my real estate brokerage business. That's Next Home Title Town, nexthometitletown.com. Or they can find me at my law practice, Urban, Urban Village Legal. That's urbanvillagelegal.com. All right. All of that is going in the show notes, uh, along with everything that Jay mentioned as well. We'll put the number to text and, and and make sure everyone has all that great information so they could reach out to both of you. Uh, and if you want to reach out to me, you could email me at jason at nexthometitletown.com or leave a comment on this video wherever you're watching it. Uh, we appreciate uh, your ratings as well. If you want to give us a five-star review, we love five-star reviews. Got to ask for the review, right? If you're on Airbnb, <laughs> you want the five-star review. That four-star review is 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 not what you think. We want the five, but no, we appreciate your listening to this podcast, Jay. We appreciate all of your time today. This has been fantastic, uh, and I'm going to challenge myself and others to think of more use cases for short-term rentals to add to that list. Next time we talk, it'll be up to 75 or 80. Uh, it's just going to keep on going. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. That would be yeah. great. Well, on behalf of Jay and Rory and myself, thank you so much for listening to the Real Estate Law Podcast, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast, because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.